Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 462. It's titled, Now Should You Buy Bitcoin? In October 2021, over two years ago, we released episode 362, Should You Invest in a Bitcoin ETF? It was right after the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission had allowed the first Bitcoin ETFs to trade in the U.S. Except these Bitcoin ETFs didn't hold Bitcoin. They invested in Bitcoin futures contracts. For example, the ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF, BITO. That Bitcoin ETF attracted a lot of assets, over $2 billion, even though the expense ratio is 0.95%. In the conclusion of that episode, I said, bottom line, don't buy these new U.S.-based Bitcoin futures ETFs. They will lag Bitcoin. If you want to speculate in Bitcoin, learn how to buy Bitcoin on an exchange like Coinbase and move those assets into cold storage, into a wallet. Go ahead and go through the hassle of buying Bitcoin so you can understand the asset. The reason why I was negative on Bitcoin ETFs that invested in Bitcoin futures contracts is because of how futures work. Even in the prospectus of the ProShares Bitcoin ETF, it talks about when rolling futures contracts, and by rolling, one futures contract expires, and then they buy a forward futures contract that expires the next month or the month after. And the price of these futures contracts are based on what speculators expect the price of the underlying asset to be, in this case, Bitcoin. But the problem is, oftentimes, and especially with Bitcoin, the future expectation of Bitcoin's price is higher than today. And so the futures curve is is upward sloping, with the current price being this level and the futures price being higher than that. And then when the futures contracts mature, the ETF goes out and buys a futures contract at a higher price. And that drags down performance. It's called negative roll yield. And that's exactly what happened. Back in October 2021, when the ProShares Bitcoin ETF was launched, Bitcoin was trading at $61,548. As of yesterday, January 15th, 2024, Bitcoin's price was $42,152. That's about a 32% decline in Bitcoin on a cumulative basis. How did the ProShares Bitcoin ETF do? Its total loss was 39%, partly because of the 0.9% expense ratio, but mostly because of this negative roll yield, this rolling over of futures contracts in a situation where the futures curve is upward sloping. Now, we have a different way to invest in a Bitcoin ETF. Last week, the U.S. Security and Exchange Commission approved the listing and trading of a number of spot Bitcoin exchange-traded products. By spot, they actually own Bitcoin. In the statement that accompanied this announcement, SEC Chair Gary Gensler pointed out that the SEC had denied 20 filings for Bitcoin ETFs from 2018 through March 2023. The SEC, and Gensler in particular, was was very against Bitcoin-based ETFs, spot ETFs. One of those applications, though, was the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which has a, a trust that 
owns Bitcoin, GPTC, but the problem with the trust is it can sell at a premium or discount to its net asset value. The market price can differ from the underlying net asset value. There isn't really a mechanism to close that. And so Grayscale wanted to convert their trust into an ETF so that authorized participants and market makers could work with Grayscale to redeem and create new shares and make sure that the price of the ETF was close to the net asset value. The SEC disapproved it, said, no, you can't do that. So Grayscale filed a suit, a lawsuit, and the U.S. Court of Appeals ruled in Grayscale's favor. They said that the SEC failed to adequately explain its reasoning in disapproving the listing and trading. After that court case, the the SEC recognized, yeah, they're going to have to approve these ETFs. And, And they did. Gensler, though, in his statement, points out that the SEC has only approved one type of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, as an ETF, and that this no way signals that the SEC will approve other listed crypto assets as ETFs, Ethereum or others. Bitcoin's the exception here. What's interesting, though, is, is the SEC still believes that the exchanges and other participants in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, they should be regulated, that these crypto assets are securities and should be regulated as such. In fact, they they have sued Coinbase, the major remaining crypto broker, for violating securities laws. And, And that's an ongoing lawsuit. What's fascinating is eight out of the 11 new spot Bitcoin ETFs actually use Coinbase as a custodian. So the, the, the whole litigation and regulation isn't done yet, despite the approval of these Bitcoin ETFs. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from a new sponsor to the show, Long Angle. Investing in private market opportunities is challenging. Done right, they offer the potential for exceptional gains. Done wrong, they present much greater risk of loss. The difference between success and failure in private markets comes down to expertise and access. Long Angle is a private community of 2,500 very high net worth investors who leverage their collective expertise and scale to access and underwrite some of the world's best alternative asset investments. After reviewing hundreds of opportunities, Long Angle Diligent Deal Teams greenlight a dozen deals each year. Asset classes range from private equity, search funds, and private credit to secondaries, real estate, and venture. Long Angle is a community of investors, not a wealth manager. Members make their own investment decisions on a deal-by-deal basis. Members are treated as partners on every investment with full transparency to investment team due diligence and underwriting. All members receive equal access to negotiated fee discounts powered by the community's $30 billion in collective assets. Membership is free, but requires an interview with a current community member as well as validation of investable assets. Learn more at longangle.com. That's L-O-N-G-A-N-G-L-E dot com, longangle.com. Gensler, in his statement, pointed out some advantages, though, of this ETF structure, that because the ETFs will be regulated, they have to provide full, fair, and truthful disclosure about the products. And so as investors, we can read in detail the prospectus and other information on these new Bitcoin ETFs. They also trade on registered national security exchanges. 
these ETFs, that have their own rules to prevent fraud and manipulation and have to enforce the rules. And so this, this is a more secure way to gain access to Bitcoin. The SEC points out, though, that they're not endorsing crypto trading platforms or specific securities. And they say most are non-compliant with the federal securities laws and that they often have conflicts of interest. And that's still to be litigated. Finally, Gensler said metal exchange traded products that invest in gold and others are different because there are consumer and industrial uses. While Bitcoin is primarily a speculative, volatile asset that's also used for illicit activity, including ransomware, money laundering, sanction evasion, and terrorist financing. That is true, but fiat currency is also used for illegal activities. The SEC finally says they've only approved a Bitcoin ETP that did not approve or endorse Bitcoin. And the investors should remain cautious about the myriad risk associated with Bitcoin and products whose value is tied to crypto. Now we have these new ETFs. They are sponsored by major ETF providers. iShares has a new ETF. Invesco, WisdomTree, Fidelity, ARK, Franklin. They're all there participating. The fees vary. Six of them are starting out with a 0% expense ratio. They've waived the, the management fee for, in some cases, six months or, or until assets reach a billion dollars. In the case of Fidelity, it's until next July. If we ignore the waiver and look what the actual expense ratio will be, reasonable. The cheapest is the Bitwise Bitcoin ETP Trust, 0.2% expense ratio. A number of them, most of them are in the 20s in terms of the expense ratio. A few are, are 30 basis points. The most expensive is, is Grayscale at 1.5%, but given the price competition, it mentions a number, a number of them are, are, are refiling their application and potentially will be lowering the fees. We have this new product now, a way to invest, speculate in Bitcoin. Should you? Well, let's review the, the investment case for Bitcoin. What is it? Bitcoin's a peer-to-peer -peer version of digital cash. The transactions and ownership is stored on a non-centralized public ledger. The concept was based on a nine-page white paper by Satoshi Nakamoto, who released it in 2008. Bitcoin it uses what's known as a proof-of-work system. All Bitcoin is listed on the blockchain, a public ledger. It details every transaction that has ever occurred using Bitcoin. It specifies which Bitcoin addresses control the outstanding Bitcoin. The Bitcoin protocol, this is software that can be downloaded, runs on computers, thousands of computers, and those computers that run the Bitcoin application use this proof-of-work mechanism in that they are simultaneously verifying the latest transactions while solving a computational problem, basically a, a very challenging math problem that uses recent and historical transactions as inputs. And so you have all of these, what are known as miners, computers running the, the protocol, trying to solve this computational problem as they verify transactions to so make sure there's not double spending of the Bitcoin. And whoever solves it first, they get a reward. They get new Bitcoin. Right now, that reward is 6.25 Bitcoin. And that, that's how Bitcoin's created. It's, it's simply created as part of this verification process, this mining process. Once those transactions are, are verified, they're added 
to the blockchain, that the verified transaction is known as a block, and then that is added to the public ledger or blockchain. With thousands of miners competing for this reward as a verified transaction, there's a huge energy cost. And then the more servers, miners that come on board, the more difficult the computational problem is as part of verification, and the more energy is used. And so Bitcoin is criticized for its use of, of energy as part of the proof-of-work system. Now, all financial systems, the fiat system, banking system, they use energy. It's easier to figure out how much energy is being used by the Bitcoin network. There's other ways to go about it. There is what's known as proof of stake, something the Ethereum crypto token evolved to. Instead of everybody being able to verify transactions, it's just select parties that, that are trusted to do that. Bitcoin has been around then for over a decade. I started speculating in Bitcoin in 2015 and all throughout the years, more and more Bitcoin is created as part of the mining process. Right now, there's 19.6 million Bitcoin outstanding. It increased just about 2% in the past year. But there's a cap. The protocol says the amount of Bitcoin outstanding will not exceed 21 million. So there's only 2 million Bitcoin left to be mined as part of this reward mechanism for verifying transactions. Once all the Bitcoin is mined, then the verifiers will get some of the transaction fees. In fact, they, they get some of the transaction fees now, I believe. And that's really one of the key positives for speculating in Bitcoin. The supply of Bitcoin is capped and it's not growing as fast as other monetary systems. For example, the US dollar, the amount of currency, paper dollars, is about $2 trillion. If we add on bank reserves held at the Federal Reserve and other investments held at the Federal Reserve, there's about $7.7 trillion of what is known as base money, money issued by the U.S. Central Bank. Base money being U.S. dollars. Obviously, euro has base money, the yen, but $7.7 trillion in currency and reserves. That's actually decreased 10% in the past year. The amount of assets that the Federal Reserve owns has dropped $824 billion. There has been an increase in bank loans outstanding, which increased the money supply a little bit, about $224 billion in new loans. If we go back to 2020, there's $5.3 trillion more in the U.S. money supply. Now it's $21 trillion, just over a $5 trillion increase since 2020. That's huge. And it wasn't because of bank lending. That was because the U.S. government was running huge budget deficits in order to combat the economic fallout of COVID while the Federal Reserve was out buying bonds in the marketplace, essentially monetizing the debt. And that led to a big jump in household net worth and the money supply. We have the base money, currency and reserves. We also have broad money, which includes checking accounts held at banks. It includes retail money market mutual funds. All of those are earning basically cash yields. It's cash that could be spent. That's the money supply, over $20 trillion. And then we have little Bitcoin with 19.6 million outstanding, growing at a much slower rate than fiat currency. The Bitcoin protocol, the public ledger, is the equivalent of base money 
for fiat currency. And just as fiat currency has additional networks that, that ride on top of it, the commercial banking system, payment apps, PayPal, Venmo, debit cards, credit cards, all these layers that facilitate ease of transaction. So we're not having to go to the Federal Reserve to, to spend money. In fact, wiring money is actually very, very inconvenient because it kind of has to work through the banking system. The Federal Reserve is supposedly coming out with a new way, a faster way. But additional layers on top of the base layer of money is what makes money so much more convenient for us than using fiat currency. Bitcoin isn't terribly convenient to spend with. Every transaction, I send Bitcoin to, to someone, it, it has to be verified and be part of a block because it's all a public ledger. When I purchased a watch a couple years ago using Bitcoin, it was not as easy as if I just swiped my credit card. The jeweler had to send me an invoice and I, then I had to get and pay the invoice via Coinbase. And then once the jeweler saw that yeah, the other transaction went through, then after 15 minutes, I could take the watch out of the store. But there is the opportunity to create additional layers on top of the base layer of Bitcoin, this public ledger. And that's actually happening. It's, it's called the Lightning Network. And there's been some changes to the Bitcoin protocol to allow for these additional layers so that transactions can occur off the main public ledger and then aggregated and then added to the blockchain. All monetary systems evolve over time and Bitcoin is evolving. Now, there's also ways to, to have kind of more even broad money with Bitcoin, just as we have banks creating new money through lending, the bank money that's created, that, that's private money by the banks. It's denominated in U.S. dollars. It's apart from the base layer of the Federal Reserve. In the same way, we have the public ledger for Bitcoin, but we also had cryptocurrency lending accounts like BlockFi, where we could put money with BlockFi, Bitcoin, for example, and then they could lend it out and expand the broad amount of Bitcoin outstanding because it was based on loans. Now, that didn't work out so well. BlockFi went bankrupt, as did some of the other crypto lenders, but the same concept is there. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work, taking forever to close the books. If this is you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecast, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. I know in our business how important it is to have the key information to help make better decisions. And NetSuite can help you make that possible. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash David. That's netsuite.com slash David to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash David. When we think about money and what are some desirable attributes of money, 
The first is convenience, the ability to spend the money, to use it for transactions. Bitcoin is money in the sense that it, it can be used for transactions, both legitimate transactions as well as nefarious transactions, as Gensler mentioned. But it's not overly convenient because at this point, at the base layer, everything has to be approved and verified. Just like it's difficult to wire money and get the wire into your bank or your, whoever you send it to, that, that base layer, that interaction is slow. But there are additional layers that make it more convenient for fiat currency. But that, that convenience is important. Now, there are places around the world where the fiat system is broken and money isn't convenient because it doesn't hold its value. There's hyperinflation. It could be an area that has what's known as dollarization, where the, the local fiat system is so broken that the country basically is using the U.S. dollar or some other foreign currency as the mechanism for transactions. But oftentimes, there's not enough paper currency available to spend, to use. And so in those cases, Bitcoin is actually very useful as transaction because if, even if you have to wait 10 minutes, it's better that you know the transaction will go through and that the money will be there. The other aspect of money that's important, though, is does it hold its value? Over the long term, most fiat currencies don't hold their value because the amount of money being created, the money supply is growing faster than the amount of goods and services available within the economy. But from day to day, U.S. dollar, or the euro, or the yen, it holds its value. You, you can be assured that, that over a day or two, it will hold its value, or even weeks or a month, in most cases. That's not the case with Bitcoin. Over the long term, it's held its value. I was first buying Bitcoin at, at $200 per Bitcoin, actually less than that. Now it's at $43,000 per Bitcoin. That means that Bitcoin has held its value over the long term relative to fiat currency and goods and services, but not in the short term. I mentioned Bitcoin fell from 60000 down to 40000 In fact, Bitcoin fell all the way down to 16000 in 2021-2022 period. That's incredibly volatile, and it's hard to have confidence as a merchant if I'm going to take Bitcoin accept Bitcoin and it's that type of volatility that doesn't lead to, to belief and trust in it. And so it's why Bitcoin hasn't really been accepted broadly as a currency. It has been accepted as a speculative store of value in the same way that gold has been accepted as a speculative store of values. It's just that gold is a physical commodity and Bitcoin is a software protocol where there's a group of thousands of people that believe this useless thing is money, just like millions and millions of people have come together and agreed that fiat currency, which has no intrinsic value, is money. Fiat currency mostly rides on computer networks. So does Bitcoin. But Bitcoin has a much shorter history than fiat currency, and certainly much shorter history than the thousands of years that gold has been around. This spring, there will be something that's known as a halving event. The amount uh, of Bitcoin that will be rewarded for verifying transactions will be cut in half. It happens about every four years. It last happened in 2020 when it went from over 12 Bitcoin as reward to just over six, and now it will be just over three. 
That means the supply of Bitcoin will be increasing at a slower rate. That, in the past, has led to a jump in the price of Bitcoin. As the supply is increasing at a lower rate, we don't know if that will be the case this year, but it's happening. And that's one reason Bitcoin has skyrocketed in price over the past 12 months, going from, as I mentioned, 16,000 to 20,000 to over 40,000 today. Now, Bitcoin is not without risk. It's volatile. But another way that Bitcoin or cryptocurrency can increase, and there's over 20,000 different cryptocurrencies out there. The miners, those that are running the protocol, there can be some agreement to they want to make some changes to that software. And if there's enough people that agree to it, then they download the new version of the software and there's a consensus and that's accepted. But there's times when there has been disagreement and the network essentially split. It's called forked. Bitcoin Cash was created because there was disagreement on some of the miners. They didn't accept the new protocol. And so here's another way that the amount of cryptocurrency outstanding can increase. There's disagreement on the protocol. Now, Bitcoin Cash has not appreciated anywhere near what the original Bitcoin has. But there, there's no assurity that the Bitcoin will remain as it is, or the consensus will be there. And that's one of the challenges with any monetary system. There's no guarantee that the US dollar will continue the way it has. The beauty of Bitcoin is at least the protocol, as it's set up, there's a cap to the number of Bitcoin outstanding. Now, I suppose that could also be changed, and that's one of the risks, but it seems unlikely that, that they'll raise the cap, the base algorithm. So here we have this new type of money that's not overly convenient, that doesn't necessarily hold its value over the short term, but has over the long term. And yet it's been in existence for over 10 years. And now, there's an even more convenient way to, to speculate on Bitcoin. We have these ETFs. The, the expense ratios are low, and that potentially will attract more interest in Bitcoin. Because they're ETFs, there is a mechanism in place to keep the, the market price of the ETF in line with the value of the underlying Bitcoin it holds. That was the whole problem with the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, because sometimes it would sell at a huge premium, sometimes there was a huge discount. There really wasn't a mechanism to redeem and create new shares. There is with ETFs. That's the whole basis of it. If you read the prospectuses of the underlying new Bitcoin ETFs, they talk about how authorized participants, market makers will be able to step in and with arbitrage, hopefully keep the price of the ETF in line with the underlying price of Bitcoin. That remains to be seen, but ETFs have generally done a very good job of that. So should you then invest in the new Bitcoin ETFs? I'm not, because at this point, I have enough Bitcoin. I own it. I use a, a treasure wallet. I hold it offline, the private keys, and I'm not looking to add. It's about 5% of my net worth. I also have 5% of my net worth in gold. So I, I have these hedges in case fiat currency continues to increase its money supply exponentially. I have some monetary-like assets that aren't as convenient as fiat currency to hopefully stay ahead of inflation. They're not perfect inflation hedges, neither one, gold or Bitcoin, because they're so volatile. But now we have a more convenient way to invest in Bitcoin if you've not participated yet. If you invest in one of the new ETFs, I still think it's helpful to get on Coinbase or some other exchange, buy 
a small portion of Bitcoin, send it to a wallet, to your phone, learn how to transact in Bitcoin, just like with gold. Until you actually have a gold coin in your hand, you really don't quite get it. The same with Bitcoin. Unless you're able to actually send someone Bitcoin, maybe even buy something with Bitcoin, you don't really understand its power. So yeah, perhaps you speculate with a Bitcoin ETF, but also spend some time understanding how the underlying networks. As for which Bitcoin ETF, they're all very similar. The only difference is really the fees, so choose one with low fees. And keep an eye on whether there's a going to be some type of price war as expense ratios could get lower and lower and lower. That's episode 462. Thanks for listening. You may be missing some of the best money for the rest of us content. Our weekly Insider's Guide email newsletter goes beyond what we cover in our podcast episodes and helps elevate your investment journey with information that works best in written and visual formats. With the Insider's Guide, you can discover actionable investing insights provided only to our newsletter subscribers. Unlock greater investing confidence with high-value snippets from our premium products, plus membership and asset camp. Access exclusive news, offers, and events you won't hear about anywhere else. Further connect with the Money for the Rest of Us team and community. And when you sign up, we'll also send you our exclusive investing checklist to help you invest with more confidence right away. The Insider's Guide is the best next step to get the most out of your investment journey. If you're not on the list, go to moneyfortherestofus.com and subscribe with the Become a Better Investor sign-up box. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.